Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me again this week as we take you through the latest news, analysis, and game action surrounding our Chicago Bulls, who were fortunate enough to welcome Larry Markham back tonight against the Houston Rockets. So, in a bit of a surprise move before the game, the Bulls announced Larry Markham would be making his season debut after nine weeks on the sidelines with a sprained elbow. And boy, was it good to see him out there again. Joining me today... To go through Markkinen's return is a man who couldn't watch the game live from the comfort of his own couch as he was too busy watching and competing at a jousting tournament. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I assure you, that's how my man Fred Pfeiffer chose to spend his Saturday night. So let's bring him in. Sir Frederick of House Pfeiffer, did you ride well, my friend? (laughs) So I went to medieval times tonight. Unfortunately, the... uh... A good friend uh, provided our family with free tickets, and my kids love that uh, medieval times. Well, what, explain and, what that is, because I have no idea what that is, and I'm sure there's <laughs> listeners that are outside of Chicago who also have no idea what that is. It's a basically, uh, it's a, it's a God, it's hard to describe a live jousting tournament that you know basically replicates what would happen in medieval times with a king and queen. <laughs> you have a knight that's assigned to your crowd. Everybody screams and yells and cheers for their night as they battle in different tournaments of skill and uh, and bravery, and uh, then they fi- usually finish it off with a massive broadsword fight, and people go nuts. So our <laughs> night, the black and white night, it's a color. You get a colored night. Uh, lost. Um, he threw uh, a flower at my daughter, who was happened to be eight rows up, which really irritated me. Uh, <laughs> So I, don't, I probably would have lost that battle since he had a, a broadsword and I had an iPhone. So, but unfortunately, you know, what are you going to do? Is it but, like uh, the thing overall, in Cable God? It's the exact same thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now you know what we're talking about. <laughs> it's, it's the exact same thing in Cable God. Now the good news is I had the great NBC app. Our good friend Kevin Anderson uh, works for NBC, and I'm sure he had a big uh, part in getting the, that uh, NBC app, and I was able to watch. Large swaths of the game to the irritating, uh, irritating the people around me, including my son and, and and daughter. But you know what? Too bad. Larry's back, so I got to watch a lot of the game. Well, I appreciate your commitment to 
to the, this team, considering you were at a, a live action jousting competition. I'm, I'm glad to see you were, uh, found some time throughout that to, to tune into the Bulls game. And obviously, pretty unfortunate for you. I'm sure you were devastated when you learned that you won. You were going to the jousting competition <laughs> when Larry was set to make his, his uh, return. I couldn't imagine how bad you were feeling at that point. But from what you saw of the game, what did you make of his return? Well, I was pretty... I mean, I, I didn't expect him to play well. I, I didn't... Every time I watched him, he was missing a jumper, a wide-open jumper I think that he's going to make. So he obviously had a lot of rust. It was great to see him out there. I will admit I was very frustrated with what I thought a few times. He had uh, he did a really nice job on a pick-and-roll, and he got a, a mis- he got a mismatch down low. And the Bulls, for whatever reason, again, I mean, even with Jerry and Grant off this team, seemed to be unable to get him the ball in the post. And it just drives me nuts when he gets those mismatches. There was a play where... Shaq Harrison specifically threw it over to Hutchinson. And I'm just like, he's on the block with like, I, I can't, I think he had Chris Paul on him. Somebody who was under six feet tall. He he deserves to have the ball every time he has those mismatches down low. And the Bulls better figure this out. You know, they have three guys. I think, uh, I know you didn't like the lineup with Wendell Carter Jr., Parker and Markin. And I happen to believe in that lineup. I think there's a mismatch every time you have the ball, you need to take advantage of it and find it. And uh, my concern is I'm not sure if Fred's capable of doing it. I have no idea why Shaq Harrison and campaign spent so much time. Every time I looked up from a, a joust, it seemed like those two bums were on the court. Not Harrison's not a bum, but Payne, what a joke performance tonight. I mean, every time I saw him, he was either taking a half an hour to wind up to shoot the three-pointer or missing a wide open three. Uh, I don't know if you felt the same way, but man, did he play awful. Yeah, so I wanted, I wanted to ask you this question, I and mean, maybe we can just start off the top with it, but what, what did you make of marketing coming off the bench? Because there's a few things I want to talk about that, but just want to get your high-level overview, what you thought about marketing coming off the bench. I thought it was a huge mistake. I don't, I don't understand the thinking behind it. He's clearly the cornerstone of this team going forward, and as soon as he's healthy, I fully expect him to be insert, reinserted in the starting lineup. Like, what, what are you trying to do? If he's healthy enough to play... Let him start getting used to playing with Zach Levine and Wendell Carter Jr., who are the three cornerstones of this franchise going forward. What, what good is it to bring him off the bench? It's like it's insanity with, with some of these decisions that Fred made. Uh, I, I don't I don't understand it whatsoever. I, to me, like the only question was, well, who's going to go to the bench? Is it going to be Parker, who's been playing well lately? Or is it going to be, you know, uh, Holiday, uh, who hasn't been playing well yes, lately? And, you know, I think. Uh, I was shocked to see that's the, the way they went. I, I disagreed with it completely. Did you did you agree with uh, the decision or do you agree with me? No, I actually agree with you. So this was one case where that is definitely a fact that I happen to agree with you. I thought it was kind of strange that, you know, they would bring Markinen back and have him come off the bench and for, for a few reasons. And the main one, that being, he was going to have to play in a second unit that's completely undermanned. He's completely not ready or there's going to be plays within that second uh, second unit there that's got maybe two, maybe three players who probably shouldn't be playing too many minutes, and you're going to surround Larry Markin, who's coming back from an injury, with players or inferior players that aren't necessarily going to help him, I guess, get uh, help him wear that rust off. As you mentioned, there was a play, and I think that at the end of the first quarter there, where he had the mismatch on the block, and Cameron Payne, Shaq Harrison, and Chandler Hutchinson all in the same position uh, possession. Basically, didn't recognize the mismatch, uh, the mismatch and couldn't get him the ball down low. So that was just one example of many where he's playing in units coming off the bench where he's going to be playing with inferior players that aren't going to make his life any easier, which isn't great considering 
it's already difficult for him coming back from you know missing two months of the season. So he's going to have that rust irrespective of having to play with some bad lineups there. So I didn't necessarily get the idea of taking him off the bench. Uh, I would have liked to have seen him starting. I would have liked to have seen Jabari Parker go to the bench in that instance, but I kind of understand why the Bulls didn't do that. One, to ease marking him back into things, but at the same time, maybe they wanted to leave Parker out there at power forward because he has been playing much better and didn't necessarily want to demote him straight away. So I kind of see it. I can kind of defend it on Hoiberg, but at the same time, if you're asking me the question, I would have started Larry Markin for sure. Yeah, it's just, it's it, big picture. It makes absolutely no sense. My biggest concern, how long is this going to go on? Like, Yeah, that's a, that's a good point better, too. It better not happen. You know, next game, he better be starting. I don't understand the thinking behind it, it's like a no-win situation, right? Because he has a game like he does tonight. Um, what, what good is it playing with these guys in the second unit? They're not they're not good. If Portis was out there, if, if we had done, and the team was a little bit deeper, so you're, you got Ryan being your backup point guard, you know, I could kind of, kind of understand it. He spent far too much time with campaign on the, uh, on the court, far too much time with Shaq Harrison, who, you know, I thought both Harrison did at least can bring some defense, but – Payne was awful tonight, 0 for 4, 0 for 3 from 3. Um, the one bright spot is, I, I will say, is I thought Levine played pretty well, and I think a lot of that had to do with when he was paired with Markinen. Markinen does stretch the floor. I mean, it was funny. There was one part uh, uh, during the uh, medieval times where my phone locked, and it was on a play. <laughs> it wasn't funny. It was irritating. But it just happened. It was on a play where Levine was in the corner, and Markkinen was on the opposite side in the corner on the, at the three-point line. And his man was out uh, was out of the paint guarding Markkinen. That would never happen with anyone else on the team. So do you see what I'm – I hope I'm trying to get an illustration of what I'm trying to get at. If it was any other player on our team, that, that defender would have been in the paint yeah. at least ready to stop a drive. So he does have that gravity that no other player on the team has, even when he isn't shooting well. You know, two of six isn't bad from three. And this team is sorely lacking there. So I'm just so excited he's back, you know. So it, to me, it was just a little bit of a downer to reinsert him in the starting lineup. And I, I haven't heard Fred's reasoning behind it, um, but I, I'm sure it's it's stupid, whatever it is. No, look, I haven't heard the reasoning either. And look, I forgot to mention at the top of this that the Bulls obviously lost this game to the Houston Rockets. Pretty much anyone would have assumed that anyway. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I didn't agree with the move. They, it's not like Larry Markin was only playing 12, 13 minutes or something like that. They gave him 25 minutes tonight. So he got a good chunk of, of minutes here. He got a decent run out there. But unfortunately, a lot of those minutes were with that second unit. We did get to see him a lot in the third quarter because... I think you alluded to it before, but the Bulls made the switch at that point where they shifted Jabari Parker down from power forward to small forward and put Lowry in at power forward with Wendell Carter Jr. at center. So we got to see that lineup more so in the second half than we did in the first half. And and because of that, we got to see Lowry with the starting that, that starting unit and we got to see him sort of pair well with Zach Levine. And there, like you sort of alluded to there, there were a lot of things to like between Lowry and and Levine, and Levine had probably his best quarter of the game in that third quarter, scoring 11 points and pretty much didn't look like missing. And a lot of it was purely just because Markin was on the floor and his presence yep. as a shooting option just really changes the scope of the Bulls' offense. No, no doubt. I, I, I'm, again, going back to Fred's decision. This is in a long line of this questionable decisions this guy's made as far as starters go. I, I still go back to the idea that when Portis went down, 
you went to Hutchinson at the four. I don't care what level you're coaching at to take your players and put them in the best position to succeed, whatever that is. You're not putting Chandler Hutchinson, a guy who's a small forward at 197 pounds, in a position to succeed, throwing him out against at the four. You're just not doing that. He's not capable of doing it well. It was a complete disaster, and anyone who argues differently is wrong. Um, and that ended with the Golden State game when we were blown, you know, doors were blown off. Decision was right. Parker in the starting lineup, he finally made it, and it's bare, it's it's bore fruit. I mean, he's played well as a starter. Now we have this tough decision here, Holiday or or Parker, and all of a sudden, Holiday's the I, the, the Holiday party's over. He's playing extremely poor for the last six games. He's shooting under thirty five percent. Last six games, five eighteen, six of ten, which is decent. Then two of ten, three and nine. I don't know what his numbers were tonight, but I'm I'm certain they were awful because every time I watched, he was missing a wide open jumper. Let me see what he was. Four of 13, one of eight from three, minus 19 in 25 minutes. He was terrible tonight. Um, so a, a very smart man once told me you should always look at career stats. Don't look at last year's stats. And I remember a real dopey GM for the Cubs named Ned Lynch, who always looked at the career stats. Oh, we expect him to do this. You look at what the guy does for his career. Justin Holiday is miles ahead where this guy has been in his career, and you got to expect those numbers to go down. And they are going down like a rock to the bottom of the ocean, and I don't think he's going to be tradable in another week with a performance like this. Look, I wouldn't go that far. I think he, he's certainly shown this season that he's still a, a, a capable option for a team that's contending to have as a bench option. Obviously, if you're going to be starting him or, or looking to plug him in as a starting small forward, as the Bulls are currently doing, you're going to get a lot of variance. But if you're playing him 15, 20, even 25 minutes a night, coming off the bench surrounded by better talent, where he doesn't necessarily have to go out there and just jack up shots, then I think you're going to get a different Justin Holiday. So I think teams would be trading for that player in mind, not necessarily the one that the Bulls are sort of seeing on the court that is a high-variance player at the moment. But at some point, when once the Bulls do insert or reinsert Larry Markin back into that starting unit. They're going to have to make a decision between Holiday and Parker at small forward because if it's if it's Jabari at small forward, then Holiday goes to the bench. But if it's Holiday that remains in the starting unit, then Jabari goes back to the bench. So I'm not sure, but you're probably going to disappoint one of those guys, and that's just the way I guess it's going to be. So I don't know where Fred's going to go here, but he's obviously testing out this Jabari at small forward lineup, and I just wonder if it's going to be more of a... Front office, uh, front office decision more so than a coaching decision as to what happens with the small forward position once Larry's put back into that starting unit. Yeah, well, I mean, from my interactions with Paxson and everybody I know who knows Paxson, it, I, I think there's far less involvement from the front office in starting decisions than is most people are led to believe. I mean, I called, I called him out when I met with him and said I thought it was a wrong decision in the preseason for them to bench Parker after a few games and put Portis in the starting lineup, a, a kid who's Portis and Bobby Portis who embraced the role as a bench player. And you're just, you're just putting him in a role as a starter where he's not, you know, used to, used to doing and, and succeeding. He, I thought he didn't do well as a starter just, and then you pissed off Jabari. And I know people don't want to hear that, but you know, it's true. You just had a perfect situation there to just start Jabari and if and have Porter come off the bench and he made a big mess of it. So, you know, as I said, I don't think that the front office has as much to say in starting decisions as, as we're led to believe. I, I could be wrong on that, but I, 
I think this is Fred. Fred falls in love with some players. He fell in love with Paul Zipster, who played far too much in his time here in Chicago. Uh, he fell in love with, you know, obviously he's in love with, with Holiday. So these guys will continue to play, and uh, regardless of what the front office says, unless we get to the point that we're in a full tank, uh, I think these are Fred's decisions, and, and you know, his future is going to rest on them. Because things got to get better, though. I mean, now when you had a player like Markkinen, I, from what I saw today, I think Markkinen did far too much standing around the three-point line. Um, and they better figure out this whole situation with Levine because, you know, at the end of the second, at the end of the half, he made a shot right before the end of the half. I didn't think that was a good shot. It was a terrible shot. I, I know exactly the I, shot you're talking about. It was a terrible yeah. shot. I agree 100%. It went in, everything was great. He let the shot clock run out. I, I just thought, what, what, what is this? You know, it was, it was exactly what we saw the other night against San Antonio. The second half, there was, uh, excuse me, the second half, third quarter, Saw the same thing. I mean, Levine was pulling the ball out beyond the three-point line, pulling away from the basket with eight seconds in the shot clock. You know, to, do, to basically go one-on-one, he ended up giving up the ball, and we had a shot clock violation. Yeah, you shouldn't be pulling out to go one-on-one and get, get ahead of steam with, with under 10 seconds on the shot clock. There's just too much of that going on with him. And, and I really liked what you said in your last podcast with Steph No saying, hey, maybe I was a little bit too harsh. And I agree with you. I think we are a little bit too harsh. He's still a young kid. He's 23. You know, they can learn these things. But somebody has to talk to him. I mean, somebody on that coaching staff has to have the weight to tell him and sit him down and say, listen, this is not good team basketball. We want you to be at your best. And I thought I saw some good moments in the Milwaukee game. I mean, that drive and dish to Parker and the dunk was a play of the year. But I thought he reverted to some bad, poor decisions again tonight. Even though he had a really nice game overall, some of those shots were just awful. Yeah, look, I, I certainly agree. I thought his third quarter was really good tonight against the against the Rockets. He was getting to the basket a lot more. He had that really sick dunk in the play where Markkinen set the screen. He sort of flared out to the top, and the Rockets were sort of bamboo, bamboozled a little bit. They didn't know whether to sort of stick with Markkinen or stay with Levine, and in doing so, it allowed Zach to get to the rim, and he had that really nice two-hand dunk in the third quarter there. But... He does still have that propensity to over-dribble, to go into isolation, to take those really bad step-back contested jump shots. And I don't know if you can ever get that out of his game. I think that's sort of part of his DNA, part of his basketball DNA at least. But I don't know. One game he'll be a really good facilitator. The next game he won't necessarily be a great one. The Bulls obviously played the Pistons the night before the Rockets on a back-to-back, the first of their back-to-back. And Zach didn't have it going offensively at all, but Wendell Carter Jr. did. And we'll, we'll talk about Wendell a little bit later on. But I thought his passing game last night, was, or sorry, the, the previous game was quite good in that Pistons game. He had the nine assists and he was finding Wendell Carter Jr. in the pick and roll quite a lot as that role man. So Zach sort of has these games where on one night, he's really dishing well. He's really facilitating. He knows who he has to get the ball to. But then tonight against the Rockets, for whatever reason, he reverted back to some of these sort of tough contested jump shots. And look, he had a good a good night tonight, 11 from 17 from the field. So you can't necessarily kill him too much for it, I guess. He was an efficient 29 points. But there were instances where I thought he did have some bad plays. But at the same time, Fred, I'm sort of wondering... 23, 23 games that the team has sort of been without Larry Markkinen, and I wrote this for Bloggable, but I just wonder if some habits have been formed here where Zach has sort of gotten used to being alone and 
being, uh, I guess, the lead handler here, that he, a lot of these, these times we will see Larry Markman relegated into that sort of spot-up role, which is, I guess, it can have its positives, as we saw tonight. Just his mere presence can help this team, but we want to see more from Markman than just sort of having him stand in the corner. No, I, I agree with you 100%. I think you're right on. I think that's the biggest issue with this team right now is deciding who really takes that alpha role. I think for the Bulls to max out where they can be, I think marketing has to be that guy. And I think the team has to be focused on getting him as many shots as possible. And Levine needs to take a secondary role. And my concern is I don't see Levine doing that. I think he's going to want to continue to be the alpha going forward and have Laurie be the secondary role, more of a spot-up shooter, three-point shooter, and kind of work off of him. And I think for this team to maximize its, its, its winning and maximize its goals eventually of winning a championship, I think that is the wrong route to take. Um, you're going to need a guy in that head coaching position to really step in and, and make it known how things are going to be. I don't think Fred's that guy. He just doesn't have that gravity or weight that you need to make those type of, uh, you know, offensive movements. And, you know, on all the teams I've been on, it's just something that you either have or you don't. Fred's a really nice guy. He's super smart. I have no doubt he knows basketball inside and out. But I, as I said, I just don't think he's a leader of men. I don't think there's there's just some guys that just have that and some guys who don't. When they speak, they carry a lot of weight. I don't think he does, just from what I've seen over these four years. So we'll see. I hope I'm wrong. But uh, do you agree with me on that? I just, I'm curious to get your opinion. I mean, do you feel like, hey, this team, in order to maximize where it's going to be, you need to have and take that lead role and have Levine be the secondary role, or do you feel, because I've heard a couple other people disagree and say Levine should be, he's the guy who can create his own shots, he's the guy who should be the lead role and have marketing kind of facilitate, or excuse me, uh, you know, be the Robin to Levine's Batman. See, I'm not convinced that marketing is necessarily has to be the lead guy, but I'm also not convinced that Levine is that too. I almost think they need to share that role, because I'm not sure either of them can really take on that load or that responsibility by themselves, and I say that because Larry Markkinen as a power forward, it's obviously going to be a lot harder for him to sort of take over games down the stretch given that he is a big man in a modern NBA where perimeter play is sort of the uh, the dominant drive at the moment. So I think that just generally will always have Zach have the ball in his hands quite late in games, We beat him taking the shot or, or trying to create for, uh, for his teammates. So I don't see a situation where the balls are sort of going towards the death of a game and just keep feeding Lowry marketing because he's the man. I think it's going to have to be a combination of both to keep the offense flexible and just to keep give it a little bit more variability in that sense. So I, I think they need to work out that balance better than what they've currently or what we've currently seen from Levine and marketing dating back obviously to last season where it was completely uh, completely slotted or, or slanted rather to, to the Levine show in that sense. Larry Markman got lost a lot in those occasions or in those lineups. I don't want to see any more of that again this season. So we'll see how it transpires over the over the sort of coming weeks as Larry returns to that lineup. But I, I'm not convinced that Larry is necessarily the, the A or the alpha, if you want to call it that, with, with Levine being his number two. I almost think it needs to be a shared responsibility between these two guys. Interesting. Yeah, that's really hard to do. Uh, I, I, I think you may be on to something there. I mean, it's it's harder for Markin to be the alpha since you're right. He's not the ball handler. He's not a primary ball handler. But, you know, there have been a lot of great players in in the league who, you know, just uh, Dirk Nowitzki obviously comes to mind that aren't ever going to be the primary ball handler and, and still can be a, a big, huge difference maker. Um, 
You know, there's a, there's a few guys in the league like that. Embiid's not the primary ball handler. He's a major difference maker. I, I really like the idea of putting Markin in at the five, too. I, I, I'm more sure than ever after seeing him. He's just so huge. In today's NBA, that's a position that he can play and I think really take advantage of the slower centers. Um, you know, ideally, probably like a little guy who's a little bit stronger defensively at the four than Parker. But Parker does bring the offense and the versatility that can really screw up a lot of teams. So, I mean, at some point, I kind of feel the Bulls get caught in this where you needed to stop reacting to everybody else and, and start making teams react to you. And I think that's one way, uh, a good way to do that is kind of take advantage of some of the, the, the height that they have and some of these advantages that they have and try to run with that as opposed to always trying to, hey, if they're going small, we're going to go small. I think that's a mistake. The Bulls have enough athleticism in those big guys and Parker and Markinen to get away with it. And I think they should run with it. And Wendell Cutter Jr., obviously, too. Well, I mean, to Fred's credit, we did see Markinen at the five tonight. So he had the 25 minutes, as I mentioned before. He played a lot of power forward, but he also did get minutes at the five with Jabari next to him at power forward. So that works at the moment, given the the main front court pieces that the Bulls have are Wendell Carter Jr., obviously Larry Markinen and Jabari Parker, but once you sort of reinsert Bobby Portis into that, that's when it gets really confusing and whether you can really actually get to see Lowry at center. I think Lowry at center as a backup when Wendell Carter sits is something that that Bulls can definitely sort of trial with. But in that scenario, if for whatever reason you're moving Jabari Parker up to power forward because you also want to get some minutes into Hutchison at small forward, then what does that mean for Portis or vice versa? You, You remove... Jabari Parker and you put Portis back at power forward with Mark at center because you want to see minutes at small forward for Hutchison. I think they're going to have this problem going forward once Portis is back. There's going to be too many players with not enough minutes in that front court if they want to experiment with Mark and at power forward. So I think it works in theory, but I think based on what the what the rotation will be once Portis is back, there's just not going to be enough minutes to really get it done, I don't think. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. I mean, again, this is a, a coach. That's why it's such a delicate situation. You really need a, a top-notch coach to get this mix right. Because I do feel like watching it, even at night, there were sometimes I said, oh, my God, the offensive talent on this floor right now with Levine, Markin, and Parker, if you could just find a way, find the right mix, find the right puzzle, we have something here. you know. And it was just there were some moments, and I thought I was pretty excited. Uh, it, you're right in the third quarter. I thought Levine really had it going on. Those were some good moments there. But I mean, when you throw Harrison and Payne out there, it just that's where to me the whole thing went wrong. And I don't know where you ever would come to the conclusion that's the right thing to do. You know? Yeah. Look, well, I, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with Fred having to put out, uh, you know, Payne and Harrison on the floor because they're his backup guards at the moment because he's obviously Chris Dunn is injured, Denzel Valentine is gone for the season, so I don't necessarily think he has many two options in that sense. But again, I'll go back to what I said before. I wouldn't be playing Larry Markin in that situation because that's a lineup that's just not going to be fruitful here for him. And, and there was a point there in the game where obviously Markin was coming off the bench. Bulls were down 20 points and Fred opted to take out the starters with about three and a half minutes to play. And because Larry came off the bench, he stayed on there with the second unit in the at the close of the game as the as you know the starters were pulled and the, and the Bulls were just running things out. But like I said before, I just don't see the point in having Markin come off the bench in that situation where you're going to be playing him at the dead of the game where the game's not necessarily competitive and getting him minutes against scrubs and playing with our scrubs, I guess, in situations that aren't going to work. So I don't really get the whole point of this entire 
experiment of Markin coming off the bench, but it, it is what it is. But I think what's becoming even more clear to me, Fred, is this, this Bulls team desperately needs another ball handler on the floor. And we talked about it before, the fact that Harrison and, and Payne couldn't get Markin in the ball in the post against mismatches. That should just be... For, for an NBA point guard, even for backup NBA point guards, that should be something that they should just be able to do. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not something that we should be questioning at this point, given... Even for a backup point guard, we shouldn't be questioning that sort of stuff. So that's disappointing to me. And I think the Bulls desperately need another ball handler on the court. Obviously, Chris Dunn will return from injury, but I, I don't know if he's necessarily the answer to all this. And I, I got wondering there in that third quarter period where Levine and Markman look so good together, if, you know, where, Dunn, where does Dunn fit in this whole thing? Because if Zach's sort of dominating the ball and then Larry Markman is going to be that second option to Levine at the moment, let's just say that's the case then where the hell does that leave Chris Dunn once he returns, sort of standing around watching these two sort of play basketball between themselves as a two-man offensive unit? Yeah, that's a great point. Because there were times I remember when they, in the in the, the the small periods of time when they did play together, it was really strange. I felt that they almost had Dunn playing like the shooting guard position off ball and he'd never see the ball. It was just basically Levine handling it, being the ball dominant player and, you know, in Last year, obviously, not playing very well. But, uh, you know, defensively is where that all turns around, right? I mean, Dunn is so good defensively on the perimeter that he's so integral to our team and our defense that whoever the more difficult guard is, he can, he can take any shooting guard in the league. That's where it all comes together. But, yeah, they got to do a better job of figuring this out. I, Dunn has just got to get better at handling the ball and not turning it over. And if he can do that, I think he can facilitate well enough to be the answer. And, uh I think Levine's going to have to adapt his game somewhat. Levine's just so ball dominant sometimes. It's just, I, I don't, I, I shooting guard to me. He's more, he's more like a, you know, almost like a Rose, how Rose was in his MVP year where he just needs the ball in his hand so much. And, you know, I, I guess there are moments, like you said, where I, he facilitated pretty well the other night, but still to me, it's so come and go and it's not, it's not consistent. He's got to get better at it, you know? But, I mean, they're young. That's the thing. This team is so young. It, it, it could still come. Uh, there's a lot of talent. They're just going to find the right mix and the right, the right people to put in place. But I'm fine with the point guard as soon as Dunn comes back. You got Dunn and then Ryan as a backup. I, I don't really think you need three. I, I think you do need three in the, in the sense that one of them doesn't have it necessarily going. And if that third is there, I'd prefer to be a veteran who knows how to execute pick and roll in a second unit in the case that you start having Markkinen playing more with second units in the event that you want to stagger Levine and Markkinen if that's what the Bulls in, did, uh, intend to do. So if there is a game where Archie Diakono isn't necessarily playing well or Dunny's out injured or whatever it is, having a better support point guard as your third stringer rather than Shaq Harrison or Cameron Payne would be much more suitable and much more beneficial for this young squad. So it's it's a hill that I'm going to die on. It's something that I've spoke about quite a lot, but uh, it just bothers me and it frustrates me, particularly as we saw Larry Markman sort of come back tonight and having to go against or having to play with some of these inferior point guards tonight. But And, and look, this is going to sound disingenuous for me given how much I love Archer Diakono, but... And I'm not certainly suggesting he needs to start because he's not a starting caliber NBA point guard. But when he has it going, he's a good shooting option and he's put a plate off the ball to Zach Levine and his sort of fit with Levine has been much better when he's obviously been playing well. That that, that type of player, that guy that, that can play off the ball, can spot up and hit threes, can make plays as a secondary pick and roll ball handler. I think that's the point guard the Bulls really need. And I'm not sure if Chris Dunn is that given he doesn't have that 
that offensive game where we can sort of step into that three-point shot consistently like Archie Diakono has been doing this season. So obviously I'm not saying it has to be Archie Diakono, but a kind of, that type of player where he's, he's a more of a guy that can work off-ball and spot up at the three-point line, like a George Hill type player, I think that's what the Bulls need at point guard if, if Zach Levine is going to be this ball-dominant guard that he's sort of been thus far this season. It's absolutely a need for the offseason to get in a good vet I've always been in love with Patrick Beverly. I think he brings the kind of toughness, the, the real toughness, not the fake kind that Bogans had, uh, that you really need with a team and, and on the defensive end, too. He's, I really like that kid. Love to see him come to Chicago, his hometown next year. Somebody like that would be fine. But I, I do. I do. The one thing about Fred I do do like is he does kind of get creative with that position. Like he utilizes. Laurie last year at the end to kind of almost be a point forward, initiate the offense. He's done it with Parker. I love that. I love when he does stuff like that. That's really being creative and, and, and thinking a little bit outside the box. Cause uh, in today's NBA, I mean, that's what guys are doing. They're really stepping out, not just doing this traditional role as a point guard has to be this, the Chris Paul type who's going to facilitate the offense, create assists and, 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 and do stuff for other players. You don't always have to have that from just a guy who's six, two or six, three, you know, playing that point guard position, you can get it from a point forward or somebody handles the ball as well as Parker does, or as well as, you know, some other guys on the team do even Levine. I understand your point. I agree with you to a certain extent. I just think it's a, it's a, it's a role on the team that needs to be addressed in the off season right now. It's not that important. Just my personal opinion. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's a way to address it now. I think it's too late and that they probably can't trade for it, but I, I disagree in the sense that it's not important because the Bulls foundational pieces at the moment, their two best players, or their best players, I think, who will be their two best players, is Wendell Carter Jr. and Larry Markkinen. And like I said before, these guys are the fours and fives. They're not They're not going to be able to bring up the ball every time down the court and get their own shot in that sense, like guys like Zach Levine can do. So they need someone to get them the ball, particularly someone like Wendell Carter Jr., who isn't probably as aggressive or isn't necessarily hunting his shot at the same rate someone like Larry Markkinen is. So... I think it is a problem for this season. I don't think they're necessarily going to be able to address it, but I, I think it could not maybe not stunt growth, but it, it could impact these sorts of guys. Or we might not be able to get the best versions of Mark and Wendell Carter Jr. because there's not enough ball players on the perimeter who know how to get these players involved. And for a team that is building around a, a, a power forward and a center, uh, I think it's just criminal in having this uh, lack of playmaking around these guys. But like I said, I could beat that dead horse for quite a long time. But speaking of Wendell Carter Jr., obviously Larry Markin was the story of this weekend. We didn't necessarily expect him to come back so soon, but I think we've almost forgotten the fact that Wendell Carter Jr. was probably the only bull in that Detroit Pistons game who actually had a good game. And he was pretty damn good in that one. 28 points, 7 rebounds, 3 blocks, career high in points. That was... That was pretty damn impressive to see as well. Well, no doubt. And it all started with the fact that he was finally not in foul trouble. I mean, it seems like every game you've been in foul trouble. And when you get two fouls and you lose that rhythm going to the bench, it's the worst thing for a young player uh, to get to not get into the off, off rhythm. It's a real thing and a real problem when you're consistently worried about following people. And there's so much uh, of the defensive load on his shoulders. You know, it really I think it really can weigh on a kid. Uh, constantly on that end, worrying about picking up a foul, thinking about it. And then on the offensive end, I don't think the Bulls really done a great job at facilitating opportunities for him. Uh, you know, this, the team is so focused on Levine and Parker. It's not like he's had a lot of great opportunities. I think in the last couple of weeks, he's had some really bad offensive games. Uh, but 
I have no doubts about the the the, the ceiling for this kid is is massive. I, I get frustrated tonight. I saw a few times where he's wide open at the three point line, and he and he and he you know passes it. Like I want him to take that shot. He's got to be confident in that shot, and he's just got to be a little bit more aggressive. He's got to get a little bit of Blakeney in him. Um, and you saw it. I mean, a lot of that stuff that in the third quarter against the Pistons was kind of like off of Levine or a drive and, and give and go. And that's all great and fine. But I do want to see him extend his range. I know he can do it. I know he can become an elite shooter, a Horford type from three, hit it at a 35 to 40 percent range. It's going to mean so much for the success of this team. I have no doubt it's going to happen. I just like to see him be a little bit more aggressive and and in doing so, I think he's going to have a lot more nights like he's had like he had against the Pistons. And then tonight, you know, he only gets six shots. And uh, I think he was three of six. Let's see. Yeah, three of six tonight, two of four from the free throw line. Not a great night, you know, but um, he only had two fouls. So uh, tonight was a little bit, you know, disappointing. But the whole key is is how he and Markinen work together going forward. So I just want to see those two guys together as much as possible. And that's why I was so disappointing in uh, Markinen didn't start. Yeah, and, and you sort of touched on the next point I wanted to raise because in his career night last night against the Pistons, he had the 28 points, but he had 18 shots. And like you just mentioned there against the Rockets, he only had six shots. Now, some of that yeah. is on, on Carter Jr. He's turning down open looks, as you sort of alluded to there. He can get some uh, some three-point shots going at the top of the key there or the top of the, uh, the three-point line, but he sort of turns them down. But having said that, there's quite a discrepancy between 18 shots one night going off for your career high, and then the very next night only getting six shots. So again, that speaks to what we were sort of talking about before, about the Bulls not necessarily having great facilitation around these bigs. But I just want to know why or how a play can go from having a career night the night before, taking 18 field goal attempts, then only getting six looks the next night. That, that to me, is completely bizarre. I agree 100%. And if you look at it, well, Parker took 15, Holiday took 13, Levine took 17, Markinen took 14. I mean, and then, you know, Archinato, Ryan had six and, and Wendell Carter Jr. had six. There's got to be more of a focus on getting him double digits and attempts every night. You know, there's got to be plays run for him. And I think right now he's probably the fifth or sixth option offensively, which has got to change. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Parker. I know I'm alone on that. Uh, but either Portis or, or Parker has to go sometime this year. Uh, and whoever will garner more, I think that's up for debate. I, I have no doubt right now that Parker will be able to garner more in a trade than Portis, simply because Portis hasn't played that much. Um, you're going to have to be willing to make a commitment to Portis, and it's going to be you know, probably $14 million maybe. Uh, who knows what he's going what to get based on how well he plays. But right now I think he's at an all, you know, a pretty all-time low as far as trade value just because he's been hurt, and Parker's played really well. Um, I'm curious to get your opinion on that. Do you feel one, first of all, I'm assuming you agree with me. One of those two guys needs to go this year. And number two, which one do you think right now today, if you made a trade, would get more in return? Yeah. I mean, you raised a good point. And as you were sort of saying that, I totally forgot about Portis, even though we talked about him before. We're talking about Wendell Carter Jr. going from having 18 shots the night before to six, but that's before Bobby Portis even comes back. So there's going to be a lot of players on this team that want, that want shots. 
And unfortunately, there's not going to be enough going around, which is going to be a problem. It was going to be a problem heading into the season, and we're sort of seeing it play now, playing out now. I think this front court has one too many players. So to answer your question, I think one of those guys definitely needs to go. It doesn't make sense because if you think about it, Jabari Parker is sort of playing good basketball at the moment, and I think he's doing it because he's settling into that power forward position. And that's where he should be playing as a power forward. But obviously, that's where Bobby Portis needs to play as well. I don't think he's a center at all. I think if the Bulls play Portis at center, they're going to get cooked defensively. And that's just going to be a problem. So I think one of those guys needs to go. Both got the same agent. Both are backup power forwards on this team when this team is sort of at its peak. <laughs> Both are going to be uh, what we assume will be free agents this offseason, depending obviously what the Bulls do with Jabari Parker's second year. So they're kind of in the same position in, in, in a lot of ways. There's, there's a lot of parallel, parallels between Parker and Portis. But if it was me, I'd consider getting rid of both, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not necessarily convinced it's an either-or situation. I think it could, it could potentially be a situation where you get rid of both because eventually Larry Markinen and Wendell Carter Jr. are going to be for guys that are playing 32 minutes a night for you. And like you sort of touched on before, we can even play Larry at center on occasion. So... I'm not convinced that both need to stay, but if I'd had to pick one to stay, I'm picking Portis. Uh, I think Portis can probably get you more on the trade market, but I don't see Jabari Parker's fit here long term. So I would probably uh, I don't I don't I don't think you can get much for Jabari Parker on the free agency or sorry on the trade table, but he's the one I think that will eventually need to go. Well, Parker's put up about a 2010 on average between 2010 and 2008. Uh, the last seven or eight games pretty consistently. And if he keeps on playing like this for another eight games, I can guarantee you he's going to garner something, something worthwhile. Uh, I, I still am baffled. I understand, you know, Chicago prides itself on tough defense. And I know there's far too many times where he does not on that end play uh, as hard as he should. No, no arguments here. I don't understand how anybody thinks that Bobby Portis is a better offensive player, even remotely in the same Stress versus Parker. Parker's a much better passer. He's a better three-point shooter. Better one-on-one. He's better in the. He's better in every facet of the game, in my opinion. Offensively, uh, he's better getting the free throw line. I mean, I, I can go up and down. I even think he's a better rebounder. Um, but I know I'm alone on an island there. So, in a league that is, it's imperative you have guys that can score. Uh, that's one thing he brings. Uh, score galore, and uh, I know. We'll see what happens because I think it's – you just brought up a great point about them both having the same agent. And, my gosh, I hope that none of that comes into this nonsense. I, but, uh, you know, trading both of them, I, I to me, it, clearly with this team, Parker is a better fit just because he can give you minutes at the three. I know you disagree, but he can play the three. He has in the past. And, and Porters can give you nothing at the three. He doesn't play the three at all. So, yeah, I think even you would be willing to admit he's played – he's shown a lot more recently. and. Again, he's 23, still young. He's getting better. Um, another good game tonight with 21 and 10. Look, it's never been about numbers with Jabari. I think the guy can put up numbers, and he's he's certainly been better over the last sort of, let's just call it five to six games, pretty much ever since I wrote that pluggable piece, essentially saying yeah. that this whole experiment has been a disaster. So ever since that point, he's been putting up numbers pretty, pretty close to 20 and 10, as you sort of alluded to there. So... From a numbers standpoint, I think he's been much better, but I just never have, I've never ever agreed with the fit of the whole thing. So I'm I'm never going to change on that opinion because I think Jabari is a power forward. We're obviously going to see what he looks like at a small forward 
uh, going forward because that's something the Bulls are going to have to do if they're going to have to play minutes with him or get him minutes somehow. So it's it's something that's going to need to happen, obviously, but I'm not convinced of it. But uh, I just don't see Parker's long-term fit here, particularly at $20 million. That's just not going to happen. So, uh, Well, yeah, but he's going to be... If we, if we take another step back, let's just assume that... It, it, let's just, for a second here, let's just... Uh, admit, we, I think we could all admit nobody's going to nobody's going to pick up that option at twenty million next year. If the Bulls reject that option, I still think Parker would have a great role in this team at ten to thirteen million a year as the primary facilitator on the bench, as a six man potential award winner, a guy who can give you a, a spot start if there's injuries in your front court, and a guy who can give you some minutes at the three. I think going forward, if we just took away his name and all the videos. He's a better fit and, and would make us a better team. Um, you know, but that's the question. Would the fan base be happy in that? No. Nobody wants to see it. Nobody wants him here. But I wish, I really wish, I think the Bulls could, he could be a valuable addition to the team, leading the second unit and occasionally spot starting. But I guess I'm alone. I think he's more valuable than Portis. That's, I, I'll just say right there. I think they're both poor defensively, but um, anyhow. I've talked enough about this and lost enough followers with these comments. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's move on from Jabari because uh, he's frustrating. <laughs> yeah. I think we can both agree on that. It's a frustrating topic, but um, look, let's, we've gone long enough here for now. Obviously the, the main takeaway from this is Larry Markin is back. It's going to be interesting to see how the Bulls sort of reintegrate him back into the lineup. It's going to be very interesting to see how things balance out between him, Mark, and even when Dunn gets back. We have to remember that last season, those three as a three-man unit were not good. Now, obviously, the caveat to that is Zach was returning from his ACL, so maybe we throw out that data. But at the same time, based on evidence that we have, that three-man combination wasn't good. So the next two to three weeks is going to be very interesting as we sort of see Mark and come back into the lineup, come back into that starting unit and start to get healthy but at the same time, we're going to see Chris Dunn to come back. We're going to see Bobby Portis return. So I think over the next two to three, maybe even four or five weeks, we're going to be learning a lot about this team and where the rebuild is sort of projected to be headed. But we're going to find out a lot over December and January. So let's close, Fred, with a story from yourself. I think we need to end on a high. We got Larry Markinen back, which was always going to be a good news story. But you know I love your stories. So I oh. want to close with one of your, your top-line stories here that you've got lined up for me. Great. Well, I'm sure you're all going to love this. This goes back to my playing days. Oh, in I love your playing days. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They're so relevant to, a, to the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> Only a few steps away from the NBA in high school at this point. Oh, yeah. And unfortunately, I had a severe ankle injury my sophomore year, which basically cost me my career. But the first game back, uh, I played for St. Lawrence, which was a on the south side of Chicago. It's actually in Burbank, but it's right next to Midway Airport. And uh, ni- you know, I'm not going to mention the years, but it was a great time to be there. Very 1974. Uh, <laughs> no, much later than that. Different cultures, different musical tastes, and a team. Uh, what was great about St. Lawrence is we had African American, Latino, uh, you know, Caucasian, all Asian, all together. Great, a great atmosphere was fantastic can't say enough good stuff about it on the basketball team though you know we were probably half and half as far as african-american and caucasian or different musical tastes so the pregame mixtape was a big deal you know because um a couple of the guys on the team would have theirs and you know i was always open to all different types of music so i enjoyed them all 
And then, but we had a team that, you know, liked rap and we had a, a proportionate team that liked uh, heavy metal. So my, they allowed me to make the mixtape and I was going to uh, go to both sides and have a, you know, really, I spent a lot of time in this. So Welcome to the Jungle by uh, Guns N' Roses was the opening song, which is one of the greatest songs ever to run out to when you're doing a layup line. And I feel like you dunk. The next one was uh, It Takes Two by Rob Bass and DJ Rock. And then, so my friend, you remember that one? I have no idea what that is, now. Okay. Well, my friend, of course, my friends on the team loved that. Did a little run DMC. It's tricky. You heard that song, right? Yeah, I know that People one. Yeah. loved it. So things are moving well. The whole team's back. This is great. What a great job, Fred. Way to go with the tape. Who? Bob O'Reilly was the next one. Everybody, everybody loves it. The people are really enjoying it. Well, then I decided to get a little creative, little, uh, uh, avant-garde and the monkeys were one of my favorite bands and I, <laughs> I i put pleasant valley sunday by the monkeys on there let's just say the reaction <laughs> did not go down well a lot of uh expletives like what the f is this from both sides of the team yeah what the uh, felicio is this is that what it was <laughs> what the felicio is this uh bull uh excrement uh and and i got it from both sides so it wasn't just the the, the, the rap, the, the, the members of the team that love rap was from the members of the team that love rock. And I was trying, you know, trying to really draw that line. But I, I love the Monkees so much. One of the most underrated bands in, in uh, rock history that I put uh, Pleasant Valley Sunday. So anybody go to Google uh, and YouTube that song. That was the song that was uh, the fifth song I played. And at that time, uh, one of the members of the team jumped up and uh, took the tape out and smashed it. So that was a lot of fun. I'm tipping you lost that guy. <laughs> part two of the story that game i came in and uh the most embarrassing moment ever to happen to me on a basketball court uh this game was against phillips i had incredible steel I, I i had a very good anticipation and i had a breakaway so at, and i thought i'm gonna dunk this baby i was oh, so yeah. pumped up and even though i've never dunked or i could barely touch the rim and as i went up the player behind me sprinted and caught my arm, and if you're trying to envision this, when you go up for a layup, you know, I'm a right-hander, my right knee came up, and the ball uh, flew off my knee at about a 1,000 miles per hour. <laughs> and if you've been in St. Lawrence Gym, there's a feet between the baseline and the first row, and a very old woman oh, was no. sitting there. Oh, no. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, oh, my God. I'm still just thinking about now, I feel like nauseous. Uh, hit her right in the face <laughs> at about a, a 85 miles an hour. Uh, and uh, just the the audible slap and the sound and the screaming and the <laughs> as it echoed in the empty gym. Oh, and just God. her screaming, you know, my nose, my nose. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, it's an empty gym. Everybody's like looking at me like I'm going to apologize. Why should I apologize? I, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I got fouled. They didn't call a foul. So you're arguing for a foul call as this old lady's got a nose. She's bleeding everywhere. And you're arguing for a foul call. Somehow it wasn't bleeding, but it was horrific. Like, she was screaming. So the screaming echoed in the, in the empty – it wasn't that empty. It was, kind of, it was a sophomore game. So it was kind of, you know, just the echo. I'll never forget it. And so everybody's, like, looking at me like I had to apologize. I refused to apologize. What am I going to say? You know, and I, I didn't do anything wrong, you, you know. Oh, so eventually I went over there and made sure she was okay. But so that was the the worst game pregame of my life. 
Um, I can look back and smile at it now, but if you were in that gym and you heard her screams and, and everyone, everyone's eyes looking at me, I was the dope that caused it. It was a horrible experience. <laughs> Maybe you should have put the monkey song back on. That was probably <laughs> more so from her generation. That may have, have lifted her spirits slightly. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Mark. Moral of the story, don't use the monkeys in pregame warmups, A, and B. Always be wa- uh, wary of uh, old women in the front row because they are, do not have quick reflexes. So anyhow, that was a good story, I thought. Yeah, that was a good one. Thanks for passing on that. Uh, the lessons learned there. I think the audience will definitely take that on board. They've taken their notes and uh, we'll be putting that into application when they next play their next game of basketball. So Fred, as always, I love your stories. Thank you for that one. You're the best, Mark. Take it easy, brother. I'm loving this, the shows, man. The last one with Steph No was fantastic. Oh, thank you for listening for it for a change. I appreciate that. Oh, yeah, no problem, brother. Hey, man, <laughs> have a good night and stay true. This team is going to be a leviathan. I guarantee it. Tonight was just a momentary lapse. We're going to be really good as soon as Dunk comes back. All right, Fred. I'll, I'll say I believe you, even if I truly don't. But thank you for jumping on, as always. All right, brother. Have a great weekend. Ah, oh, Fred. He's an interesting man, that old Fred. And just so it's clear, there were no old ladies that were injured during the recording of this podcast. I just wanted that to be known, just in case there are any lawyers listening. Just just making that very clear. But that just about wraps up the show for this week. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for Fred for stopping by. Follow him on Twitter. I'm sure you're already doing that. But if you're not, please do. Follow the show on Twitter at BullsHQPod and follow me at MKHoops. And thank you to those listeners who jumped onto iTunes and gave the show a five-star review over the last week or so. I really do appreciate that. I I asked for that uh, on the last podcast, and it's good to see that people could find some time out of their busy schedule to do that for me. I really do appreciate it. It means a lot. So that does it for today. Glad to see Larry Markin is back. That it makes watching Bulls basketball a hell of a lot easier. I'm sure you'll all agree with that one. So hopefully, as he sort of comes back, gets more healthy, it becomes a lot more watchable to watch this team, particularly once done and Porter's are back to hopefully the Bulls can start playing some better basketball. But it's just good to see Larry Markin back out on the floor, hooping with his teammates. That was awesome to see. And it was a surprise to get him back a little bit earlier than, than expected. So here's to hoping we see more healthy Bulls going forward, some more better games of basketball from the Bulls. But for now, this has been Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me. I'll talk to you all again very soon. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.